You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I'm here with my buddy and co-host, Matt Hartwell, and we have a very special guest on the pod from the Wolverine, which of course is part of the On3 network of companies. Uh, we have Clayton Safey. Clayton, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. We were just talking you know, before here. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come quickly here. Big Ten Media Day this week, so that'll be crazy, and then fall camp, and we are into the season, but I'm super excited. We're getting down to crunch time. The buzz in the air is is starting mm-hmm. to get tangible. I feel like when you get like inside of that 45-day mark, everything yeah. feels and smells a little different. So I'm assuming you'll be out uh, at Big Ten Media Day. Is that right? Yes. Yep. We're down in Indy for both days. Michigan goes Thursday. Jim Harbaugh, Blake Corum, Chris Jenkins, Mike Sainer still. So I'm super excited to talk to those guys and uh, just just kind of hear what Jim Harbaugh has to say. You know, I feel like every year he comes with a, a different theme of sorts, you know, beat Ohio State or die trying, that sort of thing. It kind of, a lot of it stems from probably just what he's been thinking about all summer as he waits. You know, he probably can't wait just as much as, as the rest of us or maybe more. So, uh, so that'll be really interesting and uh, should be some good content coming from that. Heck yeah. Matt, how you doing, buddy? Life treating you good? I'm doing great, man. Just trying to get through the dog days of uh, summer right now. Went with uh, a buddy of mine and saw Oppenheimer this weekend. So really good flick for anyone that was interested in checking that out. But just really just scraping by, man, until uh, till, like Clayton said, Big Ten Media Days comes, you know, and we kind of get a, a rejuvenation of content because... If you're like me, you've just been kind of scraping through and cycling through the same old clips and uh, interviews mm-hmm. for however knows how long. But yeah, really excited, buddy. Well, Big Ten Media Day will get us all pumped. And I, it feels like the guys that are, that are coming to represent Michigan, or I should say going to represent Michigan, uh, may hint at uh, who we might see as uh, team captains this season. So I know we've talked a little bit about that. That will be interesting. Uh, Clayton, I got to warn you, we're going to jump right in. And Matt and I, we hold you personally responsible for all of On Three's opinions as a whole. And so with that being said, we're going to talk a little bit about Jaden Davis right off the jump. So On Three has famously, or uh, I should say infamously in the Michigan uh, fan base, you know, Michigan community on three has ranked Jaden Davis a little bit lower than some of the other recruiting sites. Um, it does look like he's up to about the seventh ranked quarterback, uh, according to on three, if I have my information correct here. Um, I'm curious, do you see, uh, see it similarly, or do you think that he should be a little bit higher? Yeah. So, First of all, I mean, you know, I don't cover recruiting as close uh, as I do the team or really much at all. Um, But, you know, I've watched some film of him, some highlights, haven't seen him in person or anything like that. But, you know, I mean, to me, I I tend to trust, you know, kind of those guys. And I will say this, too. I mean, on three was a little bit lower on him than some of the other services. Charles Power runs on three's 
scouting, um, you know, has been, he did it for 24-7 for years and years before that. So it's not like it's some totally new guy that's come in and is trying to, to shake things up. I mean, he's been in the business for a really long time. You know, Michigan had him a little bit lower. Some others have followed suit recently. ESPN dropping him outside of the top 100, 24-7, putting him, I think, at number 76 in the country. So, and, and you have to note this too. I think it's a weak quarterback class overall. You, you don't have, you know, five, six, seven, five stars. I think it's only one or two. So that plays a factor. I think people are kind of catching up to that. So, um, you know, I, I think that still puts him in a really good area. You know, if you're Michigan, Cade McNamara was, I think, ranked lower than that. Um, you know, he won you a Big Ten championship. J.J. McCarthy obviously has the potential to be special. He was ranked much higher. Um, but I think it's a good sweet spot. And, um, you know, I, I'm not defending one one side or the other. I think we'll see it play out. But uh, there's no agenda or anything like that. And if there was, I think you probably assume we were trying to influence it the other way. But um, we have nothing to do with the rankings. I, I will uh, make sure to, to make sure that that's note, noted. Well, that is a great company man response. Give this guy a raise on three. He's he's out here defending the brand, and I and I love it. And and uh, of course, we're just poking fun, man. We're just giving you a hard time. No, I know. It does yeah. appear <laughs> it it does appear that uh, Jaden Davis is in a handful of uh, quarterbacks that could be you know that top two or three guys in the class. We saw that at the Elite Eleven camp. Uh, mm-hmm. Matt, did you see that? Uh, there's some stuff going around about, uh, you know, of course, Taylor Tatum committed to Oklahoma. He seemed to be a strong Michigan lean. He was almost unanimously kind of the top one or two running back in the country. Um, but then our guy Jordan Marshall has been climbing up some of the rankings. On three was actually one of the, the early companies to rank Jordan Marshall in I that thought top. On three hated Michigan, though. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't fit the narrative right now, Clayton. They, we right. get to just sh- we get to just shift it whenever we want to use the narrative. Move but, the uh, goalposts. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. But uh, Jordan Marshall is is uh, up there in the top three with I think you know rivals and on three and some you know uh, two four seven is lagging behind on ranking him higher. But uh, Matt, do you, are you kind of thinking that maybe Jordan Marshall could in fact be better than Taylor Tatum and that? Maybe Mike Hart got the guy he wanted the whole time. Well, personally, I think that uh, this Michigan staff and this strength staff have the uh, ability to ultimately develop whoever into uh, a great athlete for the University of Michigan. So I think that Jordan Marshall, coupled with his uh, talent that he already possesses, uh, which, by the way, I did find that interesting, all of this. Uh, conspiracy theory theory for uh, on three and Jaden Davis while Jordan Marshall uh, is like the number 12th ranked running back or something per 24 uh, seven. So, you know, there is a little bit of difference of opinion there. You know, I, uh, I think Jordan Marshall is going to be a stud. I think that he's going to rise a little bit. We're going to see him rise a little bit more. And uh, I think Mike Hart's got a good guy to really shape in his mold almost, you know, I hate to, to player comp uh, with Mike Hart, but I think that he has the opportunity to be very similar with his type of skill set to uh, a Mike Hart esque running back. And Clayton, are you feeling pretty good about the running back uh, situation? We've got Jordan Marshall in the bag. Uh, 
Capana, who's a guy out of mm-hmm. out of the Vegas area that I think uh, is a sneaky good recruit. So are you feeling pretty good about the RBs? Yeah, Capana feels like one of those classic Mike Hart finds, right? Um, yeah. I, it looked like for, for a while there, there was going to be a chance to, you know, get both Jordan Marshall and Taylor Tatum in the same class. But our EJ Holland was one of the first to say, hey, wait a minute, USC is in this race. Everyone assumed it was going to be, I think, what uh, Michigan and, and Oklahoma. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm hearing a lot of USC smoke. Um, you know, and then it was like, wait, is he maybe not going to be, uh, is this Michigan maybe not in that top two right now? So uh, Mike Hart, I think, probably knew that before the rest of the general public. They go get Micah Capana, who I think is higher on their board. Um, and you got to trust Mike Hart when it comes to both identifying talent and developing talent, as you mentioned, Matt. I mean, there, there's nobody better, potentially, in, in the country. Uh, you've seen Blake Corum take huge leaps each season. Um, you know, maybe he won't take as big of a leap because he's already so good and, and, you know, he's recovering as well. You see Donovan Edwards get better. You saw Hassan Haskins in just one offseason with Mike Hart working with him get a lot better and become an All-American. So you got to trust what he can do with both Jordan Marshall, top-end type of guy, number 32 in the country, could be a five-star by the end of the, the class. Uh, as you guys mentioned, you know, as I'm a company guy on three, has him higher than everybody else. And then Micah Capana, you know, one of those maybe developmental guys. I don't want to call him a project, but somebody with, with really good speed and that Mike Hart could turn into a great player at that position. So you got to be excited about the running back position. And it was big for Mike Hart to do this in this cycle too. He's a great developer, but they haven't done as well recruiting since he's gotten here. So I think uh, he's picking up some steam. And as, as the years go on, as Mike Hart, you know, let's say he stays here for several more years in this role, and guys start to realize what they can turn into under him, I think he'll, it'll be easier and easier for him to land elite-level talent. Yeah, and it, it's, it's easy to forget that these guys haven't even played their senior year in high school right. yet, right? Yeah. So we're over here. We're kind of splitting hairs when we're talking about evaluating sure. guys. Um, there's a lot of changes. A lot of things can happen when Ben Herbert gets a hold of these young guys, you know? So I, I trust the staff. I trust uh, the, the people making the decisions. And so it's just always good to, to see that we've got a handful of really talented guys ranked near the top. Um, a, a little bit of basketball news, and we'll just breeze by this because as Michigan fans, basketball's on the back of our mind right now, but just some interesting things that, that took place over the past week. Uh, Michigan makes the top four for, uh, the number one center in the 2024 class, uh, Flory, Flory Badunga, or Badunga, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, Flory Badunga is down to, I believe it's Duke, Auburn, Michigan, and, and one other school. He, he released his top, top four, so that's pretty big. And then Michigan also offers Tristan Reed, younger brother of Terrace Reed, who he's still a few years away from being able to play college ball, but uh, that's pretty interesting as well. So Clayton, any comments on, you know, I know Jawan Howard has had a little bit of a tumultuous uh, cycle this year, uh, season and off season, but any, any thoughts on how he's doing with recruiting and or uh, just pr- getting this team prepared for next year? If they land Florida by Dunga, I think I'm saying that right. I don't know either. Um, yeah. That would be a huge win for Michigan because in this age, I mean, I don't know how many top 10 or top five or five star type of guys 
a school like Michigan, maybe unless it ups its NIL game, is going to be able to get. Now, Jawan Howard, when it comes to big men, he just always feels like an X factor in those recruitments. He's able to connect with those guys so well. And if he uses a similar pitch that he did to Hunter Dickinson, to um, you know Musa Diabate, to Terrace Reed, to Olivier Kamwa this offseason, talking about how he can develop those bigs into NBA players, and I think that can work. But relationships and talking about development of a program are one thing these days. NIL is another, and I do wonder how NIL heavy this recruitment's going to be, especially the end. You know, it could be looking one way one day, and the next day something else happens. So that'll be interesting. I haven't heard that Michigan's completely out of it. I haven't heard that they're necessarily the favorite. So looking to gather more on that one. And then Tristan Reed, I got a, I got a funny story about that one. So he is going to be a promising prospect in 2026. But I was going to cover the Michigan Northwestern game this past February. Uh, you know, big Michigan win on the road. I'm at Mustard's Last Stand, famous hot dog stand right outside of the football and basketball arena at Northwestern and uh, was sitting there having my hot dog. My brother was with me and there's a, a couple that was getting their hot dogs and they were saying, yeah, you know, our, uh, I think it was his cousin. So yeah, our cousin's playing today. You know, he plays for Michigan. And I was like, Oh, who is it? Well, Terrace Reed. And we get to talking and they're like, Terrace is good, but his brothers are pretty good too. And Tristan was one that came up. So I was keeping my eye on this kid for a while. He got his first D1 offer just last week. A few days later, Michigan follows suit after Kansas State and St. Louis did. So that could be one to watch. He's already six foot eight or six foot nine in the 2026 class. And, uh, you know, could be, I just love Terrace Reed too. Like just his, his character, his mental makeup. So if he's anything like his brother, I think we could see him in Ann Arbor too, but obviously super early in that one. But uh, they got they got an in and Jawan Howard when he has a connection he seems to do pretty well with some of these kids. Well, that is one of the many benefits of hanging around a hot dog stand. That exactly, is for, that is for sure. <laughs> Matt, how you feeling about Jawan? It's, it feels like he's making some off season moves. I, we even have technically we have two scholarship positions available on that team right now, so it feels like. Uh, I know that West Virginia guy that we talked about last week, Jose Perez, he he decided to withdraw from the transfer portal. He's going back to West Virginia. It feels like Jawan is really uh, pushing to to land some of these guys, but how are you feeling about his ability to uh, to come through on these guys? Well, you know, he feels like a guy that's doing what he can uh, in the situation that he's in, you know, because when it comes down to it, Michigan doesn't have a whole lot of chips to barter with from an NIL standpoint and really from a success standpoint from last year. So I think, um, I don't know. I like what I'm seeing from, uh, from the guys that are currently with the team. I don't know what the future holds, if he'll be able to draw any substantial names in uh, prior to the start of the season, but it looks like he's doing what he can, uh, from what I can tell. All reports indicate that every name that hits the transfer portal, he's reaching out. He's got an offer in place. He's having conversations. So uh, I tip my hat to him for, for all accounts as far as that's concerned. But I don't know. We'll see if it translates. And if not, uh, we'll see how, how the next season goes. I am excited, though, for uh, for Tristan Reed per Clayton's indication. Not a whole lot of info going into going into him so far very early on, but 
that could be a guy in the future uh, to look at. So very excited about that one. Well, let's get to the bread and butter. It's it's we're the countdown to Michigan football is on and we are football guys. So as much as we want the basketball team to succeed, uh, there has not been this much buzz heading into a Michigan football season, maybe in my lifetime. Um, and I was born in 1987. So that's that's quite a bit of, you know, we're talking about some significant buzz heading into this season. So uh, what we've prepared for our listeners is we've got some but you could call them burning questions or just thoughtful questions heading into this season. Um, we're we're going to do a little roundtable discussion and, and just see where everybody lands on these questions. So, Clayton, I'm going to start with you. And the first question we have on the agenda is, which offensive player will exceed expectations this season? People who listen to our podcast won't be surprised by this, but... I'm going with Roman Wilson. I've been a Roman Wilson guy all off season um, and really for a while now, but I just think there's, there's more there than what we've seen. And he's been productive. He's been good, especially when healthy. We got to remember too, the begin or the right in the middle of the last two seasons, he's had a hand injury and then he had a concussion that he suffered at Iowa last year. That kind of, and he had strong starts before that. I feel like that kind of messed up his seasons and then he heats up, at the end, he was huge in, with two touchdowns in that Penn State game two years ago on the road. Massive in the TCU game uh, in the Fiesta Bowl, even though it do- didn't go Michigan's way. So I'm going with Roman Wilson. The speed he has, I like his route running. I think you're going to see him more on the outside as opposed to the slot this season. Uh, and he'll take a bigger role. I think he's going to lead this team in receiving. So I am just going to stick with Roman Wilson. And uh, I will, you know, I'll die on that hill. But I, I do think that, that I'll end up being right with that. Well, people that listen to this podcast know that I have repeatedly referred okay. to Roman Wilson as a 1,000-yard receiver. So I love you it. just made me you just made me so happy, Clayton. That 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 is a guy I have been like ride or die for on this podcast. Uh, Matt, who do you see exceeding expectations on the offense this season? Well, you know, to you guys' credit uh, and to Roman Wilson's credit, I think that he's going to have an absolute great season. Uh, but I got the other, the opposite side of that equation. I've got Cornelius Johnson um, having an above uh, average season per expectation this year. I think a lot of people are counting this guy out. I don't know if necessarily anyone's uh, counting either of them out, but I just don't know if anyone sees like star potential in either of them. So I'm going to say that Cornelius Johnson. Uh, he's been a guy that's been around, one of the few guys left on the roster that knows what it's like to lose to Ohio State. Uh, it's been so long, you know what I mean? So I think that uh, Cornelius Johnson is going to have a great season, at least a 900-yard receiving season. So I'm going to go with Cornelius Johnson for that one. Man, I was so close to picking Peyton O'Leary as my guy. And so it, we almost had three wide receivers uh, in, the, in this category here. Clayton, you feel good about the, the Cornelius Johnson call out by Matt there? Well, is he calling us out for, you know, saying Roman Wilson's going to lead the team? I don't know. Um, no, I don't, kidding, th- I don't think so. No, I think just, he, yeah, he, <laughs> no, I mean, 
Okay, like, I think Cornelius Johnson is going to have a good season. We have to remember, too, people that are concerned about the wide receiving core, and I'm not necessarily concerned, but I do recognize that, that there's probably not a game-breaker here. Um, like, these two guys, Cornelius and Roman Wilson, led Michigan at their wide receiver spot two years ago when they won a Big Ten title with a worse quarterback, no offense to Cade, than they're going to have this season in J.J.'s second year. So... They should be more than enough as long as they stay healthy, as long as they get enough from Tyler Morris. You got good tight ends. I'm sure we'll talk about great running backs, great offensive line. And again, JJ will be better. Um, I just think in terms of upside, Roman Wilson has a little bit more or quite a bit more. And Cornelius Johnson, I don't want to say he is what he is because he can improve, but I feel like he's just been so steady and so solid for a while that he'll just continue to be that. I don't necessarily see a big leap out of him, but... I'm not knocking the pick. He may have 900 yards. He may lead the team. He's led the team in receiving before, so I think he's going to be productive this season. That's fair. And uh, to your point, no, I'm not knocking Roman. I think that uh, there's a world where not even just these two guys, but honestly multiple guys kind of eat uh, in what Michigan has going on next year. So I'm sure we'll get to more of that as the pod goes on. But I think that that both of them have uh, a little bit of meat on the bone going into this season. So we'll see how that kind of all culminates. Well, it sounds like we're all feeling like J.J. McCarthy is going to air it out a little bit more because my pick for this question of which offensive player will exceed expectations, I'm going to go with A.J. Barner. And that's a little bit of a strategic pick for me because – to me, I feel like one of the one of the positions you want to be in uh, on a Jim Harbaugh offense is that second string tight end, right? I, I feel like Harbaugh loves getting multiple tight ends on the field. We saw uh, Schoonmaker make a living when Eric All was kind of a decoy tight end for a while there. And so I think, you know, we could see Matthew Hibner really take a step up, but I think A.J. Barner is going to be that guy. I think we could see, you know, a couple hundred receiving yards from him, which which is more than I think people would expect. And so I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say AJ Barner. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? I like it. I like that pick. Michigan had uh, you know multiple tight ends on the field more than fifty percent of the time last year, so that's a great pick. And I, I actually I'm gonna save the rest of my assessment there for the next question because it kind of ties in a little bit. Oh no, I feel some Colston Loveland hate coming, man. Let's let's no, go ahead. Not hate. Not hate. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Let, let's go ahead and go to which offensive player uh do you think will struggle to meet expectations this season? And we might as well go to you first on this one, Clayton, since we already alluded to some stuff here. Uh I and I just I let me just say, I almost picked Colston Loveland for this category. So uh, if that is, in fact, your pick, no, no shade will be thrown from this direction. So, Clayton, who will, who will struggle to meet expectations? So, I think Colson Loveland is going to have a great season. I just think the expectations are a little bit too high. This, this happens sometimes where it's kind of funny. Like, there are some guys on a roster that everyone assumes will, will be way better than they were the year before. And then there are some guys that people forget that they can improve and they think they'll be the same as they were the year before. It's hard to pinpoint which guys those are going to be. That's kind of what we're doing right now, and it's a tough yeah. exercise. You know, I'm saying Roman's going to take a big leap. Cornelius might not. I could be wrong about that. 
Um, I just think the expectations are a little bit too high for Colson Loveland. Um, although I think he's going to have a great season, I think he's going to have a fantastic career here, and he's off to a great start. Uh, I just don't think maybe he'll be an All-American type guy or first-team All-Big Ten type guy quite yet. Um, and A.J. Barner's there, too. They're going to spread the, that out a little bit. They're both going to be on the field. They're both going to get their touches. So I'm going to say Colson Loveland. He's not going to struggle, but he may struggle to meet those very, very lofty expectations that I keep seeing online. I love the pick. I completely understand where you're coming from. Uh, I know Matt is very high, very high on Colston Loveland, so I'm going to let him comment on this. I do, and God, this exercise, this does kind of suck, right? I mean, we're uh, essentially surrendering <laughs> a little bit of our our faith in one of these guys to have a superstar campaign this year. So um, I've got one take that's a lot safer and then one that's maybe a little bit more spicy. I'm going to say uh, Darius Clemens, and really not even just Darius Clemens, but probably anybody in that wide receiver three and under spot. I mean, we saw it this past season, the departure of Andrell Anthony, A.J. Henning, a lot of notable guys that were expected to excel in that mantle. And I think the same guys that are stepping into that role this season are on watch for the same thing. You know, we've got really talented wideouts in Tyler Morris, Darius Clemens that are going to be juniors this year. I think that Colston Loveland, I think that um, Cornelius Johnson, Roman Wilson, A.J. Barner, those four guys are going to absolutely eat this year. I think they're going to eat up a lot of the offensive play yardage. And I just don't know if anybody under those four <laughs> names uh, is going to get any kind of substantial run this year. So I think that it's going to be another year of an Andrell Anthony situation for guys like uh, Darius Clemens. So we'll kind of see how that goes. Another name that I kind of thought of is Blake Corum. Uh, and I know that that a lot of people might disagree with that. He's our Heisman returning guy. Uh, but I just don't know, man. He had such a great season last year. You got to think this guy rushed for over 100 yards in ev every single game that he played in, almost 200 yards in a lot of them. Uh, he's coming off a very painful injury, one that he's still not fully recovered from. So. I think that there's a world for Blake Corum to absolutely take off this year, but I don't know if uh, we're going to be expecting the same type of run from him this year that we saw uh, last year. And a lot of people might be kind of like uh, waving their hands around wondering what's up with that, but that's just the reality of this year's team and the situation that's it's going into. That's a really good point on Blake Corum. I mean, the expectations are through the roof, right? So if this guy ha falls flat a couple games, or the more likely scenario is, uh, you know, the ball's going to get spread around, right? There's probably going to be some load management. Don Donovan's probably going to get more carries than he got last year. And so in order for Blake Corum to meet expectations, he's going to, what, need uh, 20 touchdowns and 1700 rushing yards so yeah that I, that's that's actually a really good point matt it's one that hurts to say but you know the more that i think about it the more that i hear that he's not fully recovered which like it hurts to say but like 
like you really don't love to hear that when it's like a month until the season. You know what I mean? But um, I think that he's an absolutely explosive athlete. I think that there might be a couple games where we into the season where we still see him not contribute or maybe even sit out. So I just want people to kind of temper their expectations of what kind of Blake Corum they're getting this year. And it might look a little bit different. Yeah, so the guy I picked for uh, who's going to struggle to meet or exceed expectations this year, I, I'm actually in the running back room as well. I went a little deeper on the depth chart because I was thinking about, you know, who has some buzz coming out of that spring game. We were all talking about Benjamin Hall, right? Like he was he was the hot name. And I, I feel like some of the expectations have uh, come back down to reality on Benjamin Hall. But I, I still think that between him and Cole Cabana, one of them, uh, is probably going to get redshirted. And and I think because Cabana might be involved in special teams that we see Benjamin Hall uh, get redshirted. So a lot of people are thinking that he's going to make an immediate impact. I think he's going to be great. I think the spring game was not a fluke. He's, he's uh, going to be a great running back. He's a Mike Hart kind of prototypical running back. I just don't think there's enough carries to go around this season. Um, I see Benjamin Hall really struggling to to meet his expectations. I like that. You're, you got some strategic picks there. That's good. He had some buzz, <laughs> probably too much. Um, I agree. I'd probably bet on him potentially redshirting. All right, let's move to the defensive side of the ball, which in some ways is an even more fun side of the ball to talk about because there's there's a lot of like, wide open spaces. We've got some interesting transfers on the defensive side of the ball. So along with transfers comes more question marks. And so, uh, Matt, I'm going to start with you. We're going to reverse rotation on this one, on this side of the ball here. Uh, Which defensive player will exceed expectations this season? Well, you know, I think that everybody's like automatically always drawn to like the names that we've set forth during the off season for the depth chart, you know, but uh, I'm going off grid a little bit here. I'm going with Caden Colasar. I think that um, he's going to pop a little bit in uh, in the secondary. He's been referenced a couple times on in the trenches for his contributions. So I think that's a name that nobody's talking about that they're going to find a way to get a place on the field for. Uh, another name that I have, you know me with all my honorable mentions. Uh, I'm going to slide in there is, uh, Rayshon Benny. I think that I'm kind of setting my mind on that. This is a guy that's going to be very explosive on the interior defensive line. Uh, he's transformed his whole body, the way that he plays. I think that he's going to be, uh, uh, in for a surprise. He's going to surprise some people going into this season. So those are my guys that, uh, I don't think anybody's really, putting too much attention into that are going to absolutely shine this year. Clayton, do you agree with Matt there? Or did you take it in a different direction? Well, no, I, I love the Rayshon Benny pick. I think that's a, that's a good one that maybe I, I, I was pretty torn on making. I'm going to go with Derek Moore though. And it's not that expectations are low on him. I just feel like they're a little bit mild. Like, Everyone knows that he has some upside to him. I mean, he was a top 50 recruit. He showed some flashes last season, but he lost a little bit of weight. He said he feels a little bit more explosive. 
Um, and I think that just in another year in this system, he's going to break out. I do have him. Uh, we had to pick this in our uh, the Wolverine magazine, uh, football preview magazine, and I picked him as my breakout player on defense. You know, Braden McGregor, I think, is going to be uh, very good as well. They play that same side uh, at the edge spot. But I just think Derek Moore is going to have some juice to him this year. So I'm going with him. But I love the Rayshon Benny pick. Um, you know, he's another guy that I think could he could end up being a starter or something like that by the end of the year. Um, or at least is going to be heavily rotated in there on that defensive line. Well, there's an enormous amount of uh, parity and competition on that defensive line this season. It's like yeah. n- none of us really know, like, who is that guy going to be? And my pick is also on the defensive line, but it's not mm-hmm. a name that you guys have said yet. So I actually think the guy that's going to exceed expectations is Jalen Harrell. And, you know, Clay- Clayton, you brought up um, – some of these guys we just expect to be who they are, and then other guys we we sort of like have knighted them as the next big thing, and you know at Michigan. Yep. For me, it feels like it feels like Jalen Harrell has been typecasted. Like, oh, he's going to be really good. We know who he is, but everybody's everybody loves to say like, uh, you know, Braden is the next Aiden, and and Josiah is you know coming in, and he's going to lead the team in sacks. And for me. I feel like Jalen Harrell is just, you know, I got his nose down. He's grinding. He's working hard. He's really set up to perhaps lead the team in sacks this year and be be a, really a stud on that defensive line. So I'm going to go with him, but I, I also uh, am open to the idea that everybody on that line has like four or five sacks and that nobody nobody goes like uh, Aiden Hutchinson or David Ojabo with it. So, you know, w- we shall see. But uh Let's look at uh you know the less less inspirational question on the defensive side of the ball here. Who do you guys think um who do you guys think might might struggle to meet expectations? Matt, we'll start with you. I'm so glad that uh you started with me because I'm going to keep it right along the same defensive line that we're talking about. Uh with probably the more obvious pick, I'm going to go with Braden McGregor. And really, I didn't even realize the expectations are still high for him until this poll that I put out on Twitter the other day, um, basically asking everyone who they thought would lead the team in sacks this year. To my surprise, everyone is once again saying Braden McGregor will lead the team in sacks this year, which, uh, like, again, no shade to Braden McGregor. I love Braden McGregor. I love everyone on Michigan football. But, um, I mean, it just hasn't culminated yet. So for that to be the expectation, I don't know. I just question it a little bit. I got to see it. You know what I mean? So I think that he's still in for a step up this year. But um, I don't know if I foresee him being the guy that leads this team in sacks. So if that's what the majority of people are expecting... I'm going to have to say that uh, that I would have to pump the brakes on that one a little bit. I don't hate that. I don't hate that pick. I, I, I do think that he's going to have a step up this year, and I think, I think the question just becomes, like, where do you gauge those expectations, right? Like, I, are the expectations through the roof or not? It, it appears as though uh, you interpreted it as they are. I think that's fair. A lot of people... They still still unfairly say this guy's going to be the next Aiden Hutchinson, which it's like, come on, you, you compare a guy to Aiden Hutchinson, like that's just setting himself up to fall short. So 
Exactly. Did you, like, you, I wouldn't have even I wouldn't have even named the him as the person, but like I didn't know that everybody's expecting him to lead the team in sacks again. So I don't know. I'm just going to mm-hmm. have to like just approach that one with a little bit more caution and see how it all turns out. But uh, yeah, I don't know. He might struggle to meet those expectations if that's truly what everyone thinks. Agreed. Matt, that's, a, that's a great point because this is like these aren't even knocking the guys we're picking here. It's more about like what other people are saying and as you said, Mike, I mean, you were interpreting things differently. You know, I may have seen a tweet or a comment that you guys didn't about a guy that people think he's going to win the Heisman or something like that. So um, it, it's a very, it, it's very interesting, you know, just, just how we're picking these. And I will use that as a preface to say that my pick, and I don't hate that pick, by the way, but my pick is Mason Graham. Um, and I think Mason Graham is going to be very good. I also think that, there's just kind of been this notion, whether it's fans or, or media, where it's like you lose Mozzie Smith, first guy at the defensive tackle spot from Michigan to be picked in the first round since 1985, who was very, very good, probably an underrated player. Uh, the way he took on double teams and still had actually, you know, a decent amount of production. Look at his stats over the last two seasons. So I think people maybe took him for granted just a little bit. And they're just saying, oh, well, we have Mason Graham and, you know, Kenneth Grant uh, to come in at that nose spot. It's kind of easy to just say that and then move on to the next topic. But they got to be really good. They have to be really good. So I guess I'm kind of grouping Kenneth Grant in there as well. But if you want to live up to what Mozzie Smith did last season, they're going to have to do a really good job. You know, Mason Graham is, is much smaller than, than Mozzie Smith. I think everybody's much smaller than, than Mozzie Smith. But you got to take on a lot of double teams. What Michigan wants to do in this defense is not have to load the box, but still stop the run at a high level and, and get the, the offense kind of off schedule a little bit. And a lot of that comes down to the nose tackle. There's a ton on that position's plate. So for me, it's going to be Mason Graham. And a lot of that has to do with people maybe glossing over how big, you know, how much is going to be on his plate this season and how big of shoes he has to fill. I, I, I you know, I, Hate that, but I but I love it as well. He's still I, I gonna hate be good it because he's still gonna be. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I love it because I think all your points were fantastic. Um, you know those are big shoes to fill, literally and figuratively. When we're talking about Mozzie Smith, um, I hate it because I just I'm I'm drinking the Mason Graham Kool Aid. You know, I w- I wake up in the morning drinking Mason Graham Kool Aid. You know, so I I'm excited. Uh, just to see what he does in his sophomore season. Um, but it is hard to make that big of a step up when you become the guy and you're marching out on the field as a first stringer. Um, you, you know, the expectations change and the, the challenge changes. Um, I'm going to be the first guy in this whole defensive side of the ball. I'm going to venture into the secondary. I noticed we didn't, we didn't talk about any linebackers. So I guess we all kind of think we know who they are and, and, I'm going to venture into the secondary. The guy that I think is going to struggle to live up to expectations, and by the way, I hate my answer. I absolutely hate my answer. I, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, Just by Josh saying Wallace. the secondary, you're already wrong. <laughs> I think Josh Wallace um, may, may struggle to live up to expectations, and here's why. 
Um, everybody just got excited and assumes like, awesome, check, we've got that guy across from Will Johnson. You know, Amarion Walker has less pressure on him now. He can he can learn the defensive side of the ball. We feel really good with Rod and Makari, uh, you know, in the safety spots. Will Johnson's a stud. We know that. Uh, Mike Sandra's still in the, you know, playing a little closer to the line of scrimmage. The secondary is looking good. Well, Josh Wallace was playing at UMass last year. I know he's a stud. I know he has the measurables. I know he's a very good football player. But we can't forget that the level of competition that he's going to be facing day in and day out, it just got a whole lot tougher. So if there's any guy in that secondary that may struggle or may require um, a little bit of, I hate to say a learning curve with a guy that's an upperclassman, but you know, a little bit of a readjustment, I think Josh Wallace might be that guy. You just never know how that that transition up is going to go. Let me take it to the basketball terms. You know, Mike Smith, then Devontae Jones, a little bit different. He needed some more time. Um, you know, other guys that, that are making that, you know, what you call them an up transfer. Uh, you just don't know. Josiah Stewart, is he going to step in and be incredible right away as a pass rusher? Or is it going to maybe take him some time? Uh, how do you translate, you know, 12 and a half sacks in a season in the Sun Belt? How do you compare that to the Big Ten? It's going to come down to also developing uh, at Michigan and, and taking his time. So uh, I like that pick. You know, there's a lot of there are a lot of different scenarios that could play out for Josh Wallace this season. He could end up being, you know, like a like a uh, Wayne Lyons from back in 2015, where it was a big pickup at the time at corner Jim Harbaugh's first season, and he played special teams. So uh, you just don't know what's going to be the path for some of these guys. That pick is fair. However, I don't think that. Uh... I just, the only thing that I would mention is that I don't know how high the level of expectation is just for Josh Wallace, just because I think that a lot of guys, a lot of people are presuming that uh, someone else might step into that role, maybe by later in the season, uh, Jire Hill, uh, potentially somebody else, um, uh, Amari on Walker, once they kind of get their footing under them. So I think that, most people just hope that Josh Wallace is going to be like a Band-Aid, if anything, until some of those guys can get some meaningful reps in. But obviously the hope is that he can blossom into something just as elite opposite of Will Johnson. So I don't know. Hopefully we see that. But uh, hopefully we've got some other guys just kind of waiting to also take that guy's spot because at the end of the day, he's gone too after this season. Yeah, so we've pretty pretty thoroughly covered some of these individual questions. And so the next logical question to ask uh, has to do with games, right? We start looking at the schedule and uh, it's a very obvious, you know, you look at like which games are the biggest. It's very obvious on this schedule. You know, you got Ohio State and Penn State. Those are very clearly going to be the most uh, challenging, uh, biggest games on the schedule. The non-conference schedule is for the second year in a row um, is <laughs> kind of laughable, right? And we're going to make up for that in the next few years with with Oklahoma and Texas and then, of course, USC uh, in the mix. But um, the question is, you know, who do we see as the sneakiest, like, trap game? You know, that game you look at on the schedule and you get a little nervous and think, you know, maybe we're going to overlook these guys. Maybe they're going – there's always somebody that plays you – 
uh, tougher than you think they're going to. You, you know, you look at uh, Illinois last year, Rutgers the year before. Um, so I'm going to jump right in with mine. When I look at that schedule, I can't get over for some reason the Nebraska game. And it's, it's, you know, we have our three non-conference games and then we have Rutgers to open the Big Ten schedule. Something about Nebraska uh, just makes me a little cautious. We know they're going to have uh, more talent than those first four teams that I just listed. And then whenever a, a, a coach, you know, gets replaced, I always feel like that that new coach has an opportunity to change the energy and the culture of the program. A lot of times, if that guy's going to be successful, uh, he might get a really like a surprise victory uh, early on in the season, really change the energy. I, you know, I almost think of, to use another basketball reference, when Jawan uh, knocked off UNC and Gonzaga and, you know, in the, you know, very early in the season when he took over Michigan. Um, I hope, I hope that's not the case, but we've seen Nebraska does carry the ability to play a lot of teams uh, closer than expected. So uh, for me, it's the Nebraska game. Matt, I like it. Matt, who do you who are you thinking, man? I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go closer to the end of the season on this one. Probably another obvious one that many would think about, uh, which is the Maryland game. I think its positioning uh, is just like conveniently similar to uh, last year's matchup with Illinois. Obviously, Maryland also pulled a very close game out the week before Michigan's matchup against Ohio State against Ohio State last year. So I think that um, if there's any kind of team that can knock Michigan off its footing with its energy um, and their ability to, to surprise some people for a few quarters of football, it could probably be Maryland. Um, that one has me a little bit scared. And also the fact that it's on the road, which historically doesn't mean a lot for Maryland versus Michigan, but um, that's also another dynamic. Yeah. Uh, Maryland's my pick too. Um, and I, I'll take it, you know, a couple steps further uh, as well as you have a what third or fourth year starting quarterback at Maryland. Uh, that's kind of the you know worst case scenario of who you want to play in between Penn State and Ohio State. The week before you're going to be on the road to, it's going to be an emotional game one way or the other, and then you're going into Ohio State, which is naturally a spot where you could probably look ahead a little bit. This is another element where felt like in that Illinois game last year, Michigan had a few guys that were kind of saving themselves for Ohio State injury wise. I'm not saying they should have played, and probably. You know, there are a few like Mike Morris who went against Ohio State, but, you know, didn't really make an impact because he wasn't even quite ready for that game. So that, that's just something that I have in the back of my head. And then another layer to this is I was talking to Jamie Morris, you know, Michigan legend at the running back spot from back in the 1980s. And he brought up this point that I hadn't, hadn't thought about yet. If they're undefeated going into that Maryland game, I think we've all thought about this. It could be the thousandth win for Michigan, but he was saying that could get in the players' heads just a little bit, and he brought me back to 1986 when they're going into the Minnesota game the week before Ohio State. The players secretly had a plaque ready for Bo Schembechler, who was going to become the winningest coach in Michigan history. They were ready to present it to him after the game. They lose that game 
The next week, they didn't even think about it. They are all focused on Ohio State. Obviously, that's the guarantee game from Jim Harbaugh. They win that. They go to the Rose Bowl. But it's something that I think people like us and people like Jamie, who has a, a radio show now, are going to, you know, we'll probably be at fault for a little bit of this because we'll be talking about it all week that week if it comes to that. So that's just something I hadn't thought about till he mentioned it. And that is why I think for a number of reasons, Maryland, which also has a great receiving core, I think, uh, coming into this season, could be Michigan's trap game. But I love the Nebraska kit, uh, pick as well, Michael. I was at that game two years ago at Nebraska when Michigan needed a fumble recovery, a Jake Moody field goal, a couple of them late in the game. And that was as electric an atmosphere as I've ever seen. And yeah, maybe it won't be quite that in some of their games in November when they're four and seven or whatever it's going to be at that point. And we'll see what Nebraska is. But September 30th, there's going to be a lot of juice in that building. There are going to be people really excited about the first big home game under Matt Rule. So I'm with you on both. I think both could be close. Yeah, I'm in this uh, like just beat East Carolina mindset right now. Like the expectations are just so high this season that it, it almost makes me nervous. You know, I mean? like, yeah. I'm very excited, but it makes me nervous because a lot of people are looking at the schedule and they're like, oh, we're going to be eight. No, you know, heading into the back, you know, back stretch of the season. And it's like, well, hang on, you know, hang on. Like th- these are all eight, you know. Uh, you know, decent teams that we have to line up against. And if we, if we uh, stumble, then it makes, uh, it leaves us very little room for error against a team like Maryland. Um, if we can get past that Penn state game undefeated, uh, then we'll start to, you know, th- then I'll, I'll start to like really get pumped about the prospects of what's going on, but depending on sure. who has losses. Uh, but right now it's like, just beat East Carolina. Let's go <laughs> week one. ECU on the clock. We're going to have to wait a long time. That, that's a great point. Like last year, we kind of everyone circled that Penn State game, which was right, right smack dab in the middle of the season. Top 10 matchup. Once they got past that, it was like, okay, you just got to beat. I know Michigan State was still on there, but they weren't very good. You know, Nebraska, um, you know, who am I missing? The other teams that were in there. And you were like, mm-hmm. all right, we can kind of start looking at Ohio State now and what this season could be, especially after what they did the year before, kind of allowing us to believe that this team could, you know, put things over the top, at least in terms of the Big Ten. So this year, we're going to have to wait till mid-November, November 11th at Penn State before you can really start feeling good. And then as soon as you win that game, if you do, you got the trap game that, uh, you know, Matt and I picked, uh, you know, looming before Ohio State. So very, very interesting the way the schedule sets up. And then uh, in between all that, you also have all these like knock it out slug fests that Michigan's going to get into. Like nobody ever gives credit to uh, the fact that like most of Michigan's games last season, they were like two half football games. Like for one (laughs) half of a lot of those football games, we were all like sweating bricks like. Like, what the fuck? Why is it so close against Rutgers again? Like, what is going on? That was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, there's going to be a lot of games like that again, where like the back's up against the wall and it's like, it's like, God, are we really going to finish this? Is this how this season's going to end type moments? So people just need to be ready for that. Like, none of these games are just like automatic W's. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Well, I'm hoping that we don't see a lot of uh, 
you know, tie games in the third quarter against inferior talent this season. I mean, that that was uh, almost nightmarishly painful uh, as a Michigan fan, even though we ended the season 12-0. and 0, You're right, Matt. There was a lot of those moments uh, where it, it really, really felt like we were going to blow it. Um, can I, can right, I make well, a quick prediction? The- can I make a yeah, quick prediction? Yeah, go for it. We, we so- love predictions on the BHB pod. Go for it. So, like, I'm in the media, and, like, I kind of just – I'm always kind of keeping tabs on just like what narratives are and what people are saying and what the fan base is saying. And we have a message board that's pretty big over on our site. So there's all sorts of banter and all sorts of talk, but you always get this one, right? So they're going to play, they're going to be tied at the half with somebody that misses a bowl game, right? That'll, that'll probably happen at some point as, as Matt pointed out, then they're going to pull it out somehow. They'll win by, you know, they won't cover the spread and we'll get all these people. Well, that wouldn't have been good enough to beat Ohio State. That performance wouldn't have been. You don't, you don't have to. You, no one plays their best game every single week for an entire season. Georgia was in a game last year with Mizzou that they could have lost. We've been watching that one. Uh, that was the same week of Michigan-Iowa, I believe. Um, you know, so it's going to be national people. It's going to be people on Twitter and on the message boards. It could even be people like us on a podcast and hell, hell I may even say it at one point or another, but you don't have to play good enough to beat Ohio state every week. They didn't play well at all against Illinois and they were really banged up. And then they go and have a performance for the ages in Columbus last November. So we just got to keep that in mind as well, but I'm going to predict that we will hear that line quite a few times throughout the season, whether it's a half or a drive or a three and out that people say, Oh, they can't do that against Ohio state. They gotta, they gotta stay on the field. Yeah, we know. They'll they'll potentially do it against Ohio State. Let's wait for November. It's uh, oh, we're gonna hear it. Rant over. It's funny <laughs> that you say that, Clayton, because most people won't even recall that. Like after the Illinois game last year, there was a lot of people saying that Michigan wasn't gonna pull it out against Ohio State. Like I I remember they were eight it, point like, underdogs. A lot yeah. of people won't admit to it, but there were a lot of people saying that uh, that they didn't think Michigan was going to pull it out. You know, Blake Corum was injured. It didn't look great like we were going to whoop their ass like the following week. So a lot of people won't won't say that, but that's just what it was. And they're right, too, when they say, like, you can't beat Ohio State playing like that. They're actually correct. But just they're wrong in that you have to play like that every single week. Ohio State had hiccups. Look at their Northwestern game. Other games that were probably closer. So that's, that's my rant on that. But we will see that this season. I'll be the first offender, man. It'll, it'll, it'll be like, <laughs> it'll be 17 to 7 at the half against UNLV. And I'll be like, that's not good enough to beat Ohio State. Like pacing around, you know. Just <laughs> so remember this moment. Remember this moment. Yeah, yeah. It's like therapy for me talking to you, Clayton. It's like, oh, just remember all <laughs> You only got you only got to beat Ohio State on November twenty fifth, right? Every other right. game, you just got to beat the team that's in front of you. That that's a good point. But as Michigan fans, that is the 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 litmus test, right? There were, and it should all, we're be always yeah, it should be yeah yeah. Well, we've been to the college football playoff two years in a row, and so the the next obvious question when you have a team with this much success is which one of our assistant coaches is likely not going to be able to stick around. Who who's going to get uh, sniped? Who's going to be who's the next guy to become a head coach? I'll be very surprised if we don't all three have the same answer on this question. I think there's one guy that's pretty obvious, 
Uh, Clayton, let's start with you. Of all the assistant coaches on the Michigan coaching staff, which guy do you foresee as the most likely to take the a head coaching job next season? So I was thinking about this question. I think we're all probably going to have Sharon Moore, as you alluded to. But I, I think Sharon Moore, with how high his stock is, he has the opportunity here to be a little bit picky and wait for a job that really suits him. And I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago after the Northwestern job came open. I don't know that he's going to take that. I think that's a rough situation over there. Um, and, you know, other jobs are going to come up as well. But I think he has a chance to be like a Brent Venables who waited for Oklahoma uh, or a job like that. You know, I don't think he knew it was going to come up. But Or Kirby Smart, who was at Alabama forever, and everyone was asking, when is he going to take a job? He goes and takes a job that might be the best in the country, considering the way talent is distributed now from the high school ranks. Georgia is an absolute hotbed, and they, they get about anybody they want out of there, even more than Alabama. You know, much more talent in Georgia than Alabama. So I think he has a chance to be a little bit picky. I got a wild card pick that isn't necessarily my pick, but, um, you know, I'm, I know I'm hedging here, but Indiana's going to come open after this season. Tom Allen's going to get fired. That's, that's going to happen. Could Mike Hart be – he's going to get a call. He's going to get an interview if he wants it. Um, and that, that, that's an okay job, and the divisions are ending, so they're not stuck in the Big Ten East with the big boys here. Um, so there's a chance. I think there's a chance there. And Jesse Minter, you got to throw his name out as well. But um, my wild card pick is going to be Mike Hart. Oh, that's so painful to hear. But, I, you know, be, everything yeah, you just it said, suck. it makes sense, though, Matt. Did you, did you pick Sharon Moore as well, like I, I thought was the most obvious answer? I did. Uh, I also am um, very high on the idea of uh, it being Sharon Moore. And uh, just like Clayton said, I'm very much of the same mindset. I think that uh, Sharon Moore is a very smart guy. I don't think that he's going to take a job that doesn't make sense for him. He's the closest. He's basically next in line to become head coach at the University of Michigan right now. Like he's in a very comfortable situation. I think, and uh, and a lot. This isn't really a hot take. I don't think it is, but I think that Jim Harbaugh is kind of positioning uh, Sharon Moore. If all goes according to plan, and Michigan winds up winning a national championship this year, I believe that Sharon Moore would take up mantle as the head coach of Michigan. And Jim Harbaugh would probably go back to the NFL. I mean, that's just my thinking about the situation. I think that he's just been very adamant about each coach becoming a head coach at the end of this year. And I think that everyone's just very much putting all of the eggs into the basket of this idea that, like, we're going for a national championship this year. And and whatever happens after that happens. You know, that's just my... Uh, my thinking as a fan on the subject, um, but but who knows? I think Sharon Moore knows that uh, good things are in store for him if he just kind of waits out. Whether that ends up like him being coach at Michigan one day or having a nice job at the end of next season, but I think that he's the guy that makes most sense. And I, of course, picked Coach Moore as well. That is my answer. I, I think that is the most obvious answer. I could see him, you know, you mentioned him uh, being like a Brent, Brent Venables 
I could see him actually waiting on that particular job, right? Like Venables, yeah, he, went there. he yeah. yeah, he went to Oklahoma. Venables is off to kind of a rough start. Uh, I do think that Oklahoma will probably turn it around, but uh, you know, if if Oklahoma's maybe struggling, the at, SEC maybe not. Yeah, yeah maybe not in maybe the SEC. Tough. That's right. Now that, that would be an attractive job. Um, so anyway, uh, this next question I had to show a little bit of restraint in. I yeah, I found myself picking. Uh, uh, an exorbitant amount of names when I was, I had to like pe- peel it back a little bit, be deep. a little bit more realistic. <laughs> yeah. The whole too deep, right? So this question is, of course, uh, who do we see being all Americans this season? Traditionally, good Michigan teams will have two, three, sometimes four all Americans. Uh, so I'll, I'll lead off here. I, I wrote down seven or eight names and then I, I pulled it back just a little bit. Um, I got I got five guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna say we have five All Americans. Um, I believe that JJ will be one of the best two quarterbacks in the country this season. I'm I'm very high on JJ. The question is, will he uh, get the numbers uh, to become an All American? Uh, I think if Michigan keeps winning, that helps his case. So I do have JJ. Um, I'm back on the Corum train too. I spent a little bit of time. Uh, Saying, well, he's going to split carries with Donovan Edwards, and I, I. But I'm back. I, you know, those clips that circulated the the last two weeks on Twitter, where Corum was kind of buzzing again. I, I, I'm bought all the way back in on Corum. So, on the offensive side of the ball, I've got JJ Corum, and then I'm just going to throw Zach Zinter into the mix because I want I want to have a guy on the off Michigan offensive line, uh, potentially being All Americans. Why not Big Zach Zinter? Uh, you know, close his career out with a bang. And then on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Will Johnson, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us are buying what he's selling. I'm also one of those people, five-star talent, could, could definitely be a shutdown corner in the Big Ten. Um, and then my last, you know, my, my last guy that just excites me, um, I think that Chris Jenkins is going to be just a flat out stud for us every single game, every single play. So I threw Chris Jenkins in the mix. Uh, those are my five. Uh, Matt, we'll go to you next, then we'll uh, let Clayton do the exclamation point. But Matt, I'm curious about uh, who are your uh, predicted All Americans on the Michigan football team this season? Yeah, I think I see it relatively uh, similarly to you, Mike. I got a few names on there, but. These are the guys that I'm probably most sure of. I didn't separate it by offense and defense. I just wrote them down. Also, I'm not, I don't know if they'll be first, second, third team, whatever. I just am thinking they'll land here somewhere. But I've got Will Johnson, uh, Chris Jenkins, Rod Moore, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, and Drake Nugent. I think that the, those guys probably stand the best chance of of making it. And then my asterisk guys, I think uh, Colston Loveland, Junior Colson, J.J. McCarthy, Zach Zinter, and uh, and Trevor Keegan as well are names to uh, to watch. I think that if Michigan comes close to achieving its uh, long term goals this season, that a lot of those guys are going to make up that list. But for now, I'll keep it relatively conservative. And also, Makari Page is another one that I've got an asterisk next to. But I think all of those guys are 
are the I first mentioned are pretty surefire names, and then the rest of them, we'll see. I love the double running back pick. That gets me hyped, man. Two All-American running backs. What, what, yeah, that would just be fantastic. Clayton, are you seeing these, you seeing these names a little uh, similarly, or did, did you pick anybody different there? Well, it's amazing how many guys are in the mix. So you, you said it like you had to kind of pare your list down a little bit, but there are so many guys that could be there um, you know, by the end of the season. A lot of it depends on stats and just how things work out, right? Um, but I, I see it very similarly. I got Blake Corum on offense. I got Zach Zinter. I could see Nugent. Uh, I'm just a little hesitant since I haven't seen him play in a Michigan uniform, but you know, I think he's going to slide in really well there. I could see Chris Jenkins. I didn't necessarily write him down. Um, I got Rod Moore and Will Johnson um, as my two on defense. So I guess I only chose four. I could see it being more. I also think that there is literally a chance that individually, they're not all going to be, but individually, every starter on Michigan's team has that type of potential or first team all Big Ten potential, which is partly why this is such an exciting offseason, right? Because we're awaiting a, a year where there's just so much talent, so much experience uh, on this team, guys that are older, guys that have been on the biggest stages. So I could see that, but I, I'm going to go with those four. Uh, I, you know, but it, it feels weird leaving off guys like JJ or Jenkins or Junior Colson or, or guys like that. So um, there's a lot of potential. It could go a number of different ways. For me, well, with the Coulson, one guy that... I'm sorry, Mike, I don't mean to interrupt you. For, no, uh, go for it, buddy. For Colson, I think it just depends on utilization, right? Because we all know that this guy's an absolute stud. Uh, we just got to see how they're going to use him, if they're going to use him in a way that, that like, whoever names these, these uh, players is going to step back and say that they need to have him on the list, you know, because... He's got all the potential in the world. He can certainly get to the quarterback. It all just depends on if Michigan's going to give him the opportunity to flash within within those schemes to be able to show that talent. So it all I'm with you. It all just depends on how deep of a run Michigan gets to make and if all of these guys get to stack up the kind of numbers to land themselves on such a list. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just add a guy to my list right now because I'm feeling shame that I didn't bring his name up. And none of us none of us have mentioned him. And I've been on the record saying he'll have an All-American caliber season. So I'm going to go ahead and throw Mike Sanristil in the mix. I, I think Mike Sanristil, I mean, he, he literally, it was his first year playing defense and the dude was uh, fantastic. I mean, it, there's a chance that he could be the best player in the country at his position this season if he takes another step up. Uh, so I'm going to throw Mike Sanders still in the mix as well. I like that. Do they have a spot for Nickelback? Do they have a spot for all purpose too? Because Donovan could end up being that, not not even just running back. He has he has potential to get on it. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't make it as a running back, could he be at all purpose? I don't know exactly how that works, but that, that's a good pick. I know that uh, yeah, there I think is that, a spot for all purpose on several of those on several okay. of those mm-hmm, types yeah. of uh, rankings. I know you have like that. There's five main all American rankings. Yep. And so in order to be a consensus, but I, I'm not sure if they all have the same positions or if they break it up a little bit differently. So yeah, uh, we'd, we'd have to look at that, but uh, you know, th- this leads into the next most obvious question. Cause we're talking about the, 
cream of the crop, the studs on this team coming up. Let's finish this show off with a bang. And Clayton, I'll come right back to you on this one. Which Michigan Wolverine do you see getting drafted first in the NFL draft next season? It's another one where you could go a number of ways with it. I'm going to preface this by saying I think J.J. has the highest upside of getting picked because he's a quarterback. I mean, let's say he has that type of special season that you're already seeing some NFL draft analysts predict that he will. He could go top 15. You know, he could go top 20. He could go in the first round. It's a little bit harder for a guy who I'm going to pick at his position to go in the first round. But I'm going to go with Zach Zinter. I just think that I think he would have been a top 100 pick, you know, in those first few rounds. Had he left after this season, I think he's going to be even better, uh, even more healthy than we've seen him. And he's going to produce at a really high level. Uh, So I'm going to go with Zach Zinter, despite there only being every year a couple, a couple interior offensive linemen that go in the first. So maybe that means he goes early second or something like that. But I'm going to go with him. And then a dark horse, too, would be Donovan Edwards. Uh, in the mold of Jameer Gibbs, who went to the Detroit Lions early on, what, number 12, was it? Or, or 18 in the first round this past season at running back. You don't see a ton, and I know running backs right now aren't being valued all too high, but rookie running backs are. You know, guys on the rookie contract are. So I could see Donovan Edwards, because of all the tools he has in his toolbox, going in the first round. So I just named a few guys, but I, my official pick, Zach Zinter, but man, there are a few guys that could really find their way in that first round. Matt, I have a feeling he just mentioned your pick. If you're, if you're going to stay consistent with what we've talked about in the past, I think one of the guys he just named is probably your pick. Am I right about that? Yeah, Clayton, you, uh, you actually hit my pick right on the money. Mine's Donovan Edwards. I just think that, uh, I think that he's an absolute weapon. Everything that he brings to the table, we've seen him do We've seen him do some things for Michigan football in his short time with the program that a lot of guys don't do. I mean, the guy threw a pass for a touchdown in the Big Ten championship game. You know what I in his what was it that his freshman season? You know what I mean? So, I mean, you just don't third stringer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just don't see that from guys nowadays. So I think that this is going to be a guy that's very heavily valued no matter where they decide to put him on the field. He's just a gamer. So I think uh, I think that it's going to be him. The real interesting side of this argument, or not argument, but conversation, is that how many guys is Michigan going to have that goes in the first round altogether? You know what I mean? You think about uh, the potential of Donovan Edwards and J.J. McCarthy, how uh, how high up quarterbacks can go if they have a good season. Um, Zach Zinter, you know what I mean? Chris Jenkins, Will Johnson. Mm. How many guys could Michigan potentially have that that occupy that first round? It's just really interesting to see. And uh, I don't know. It's just crazy to think about how far the uh, programs come. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that no Michigan Wolverines get drafted next season. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. How depressing would that be if that's how I ended this show? I was just like, nobody's getting drafted. That would mean no. the, the one more year fund is just fantastic. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody comes back. Yeah, uh, we it. get Michael Barrett for the 18th season yeah. next year. <laughs> no, I, I went ahead and I'm, I'm going to go with JJ for exactly what Clayton alluded to uh, earlier on, which is, 
you know, quarterbacks, they run the NFL and they run the NFL draft. If, if, if he does what I believe he will do, which is makes himself one of the two or three top quarterbacks in the, in the NCAA, um, I think that I foresee JJ uh, being even maybe a top 10 pick because I think that Caleb Williams gets drafted ahead of him. And then JJ McCarthy is the second quarterback off the board. That's, that's what I foresee. That's what I'm hopeful for. Um, the other guy that I could see in the first round is not Blake Corum. It would be Donovan Edwards. And then uh, I, I, I see several of the offensive linemen maybe being second or third rounders, like maybe, maybe like a group of them kind of all going in that second to third round. But uh, I love that we had, you know, three different picks to, to end the show there. That was a a very spicy conversation. Uh, Clayton, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You, you guys do great work. I mean, I I think uh, most of our listeners are probably very familiar with uh, the Wolverine and and the the print magazine that you do, all of the online and social uh, coverage that you do, and and you specifically, Clayton. I know that Matt and I have been following you for quite some time, so thank you for joining us. Um, where can people find you if they want to get in touch? Well, first of all, yeah, appreciate all those kind words. Um, I tweeted it a few weeks ago, but you guys are one of the best follows out there recently that you know I've come across over the last year or so when it comes to Michigan. So keep up the great work. Uh, people can find me on Twitter at CSAFE23, C-S-A-Y-F-2-3, uh, over at thewolverine.com and uh, the Wolverine YouTube page, all that sort of stuff. So the Wolverine, basically uh, anywhere you can get it, I am uh, a part of it and, uh, you know, can't wait for this season. Excited to uh, potentially talk to you guys in the future. And Matt, where can people find you? Absolutely. And thank you, Clayton, for uh, for coming on. Like Mike said, I know a lot of our listeners probably uh, go to you for a lot of the the instantaneous news that uh, they they look for. So appreciate you coming on. People can find me on my primary Twitter handle at Maze Crusader or any of the stuff that uh, me and my guys are putting out at Maze and Brew which is found at mazeandbrew.com or at the Twitter handle at mazeandbrew. What about you, Mike? You guys can find me. Uh, my mainstay is Twitter, at Wolverine Cron. Uh, I also have a blog site, wolverinechronicle.com, uh, Wolverine Chronicle on YouTube. And I think I'm up to like 23 followers on threads or something like that. <laughs> so I don't know if threads is dead yet or threads. not, but I... Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a Threads account floating around out there. But no, find me on Twitter. Find me on YouTube. Uh, go to WolverineChronicle.com. For Clayton Safey, Matt Hartwell, I'm Michael Smeltzer. As always, go blue. Go blue.